This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Genesis chapter number 1. Turn to Genesis anywhere you go will be okay because I'm headed there at some point. In the Genesis chapter number 1, God looks at what He created and says, Behold, it is very good. All things God does is very good. As we do a review in the book of Genesis tonight, uh, we're not playing hermeneutical hopscotch and skipping over any portions. You can land at any part in this book and you can see what God was doing towards man, for man, on the behalf of man, and you could say what God does is very good. He is highly exalted. He is worthy of our worship. And we learn that so clearly in the book of Genesis. So how many of you were good students in school? Would you raise your hand? Your kids aren't watching. All right. I'm glad you said that. How many of you were good students? Wow. Man, I should maybe I should simplify this lesson then, okay? No, uh, we got... Those of you that aren't, maybe you should sit by a few of those that raise their hand because I'm preparing you for a quiz tonight. Pastor's coming back. He may quiz us on the book of Genesis, and I want us to be ready. I told Brother Philip I was going to try to bash on the book of Genesis. Some of you may remember he tried to preach in the book of Hebrews one night, and we all decided we should never try that again. Uh, but he was okay with it, uh, but I'm not going to do that by no means. You have cliff notes there, and we put the sermons the pastor preached with the chapters the best I could. Looking over it today, I realized I missed several. But pastor started on January the 23rd and took us. And then last service, we ended the book of Genesis, nearly 50 sermons. And when you spend that much time in a book, you feel like you need some closure. So I'm trying to fill some closure tonight in the book of Genesis. It's not us. It's, it's not the book of Genesis. It's you. We have to move on. Okay, we're moving the Exodus. And I hope we get some closure tonight as we do a quick... Uh, review of it. 2,500 years it covers, starting in Genesis 1 uh, to the end, starts pretty broad and gets really narrow to the point we're studying the sons of, of one man and what he does. Starts out broad and gets narrow. Two natural divisions in it, the first and t- verse 26 of 27 of chapter number 11. You start off with the creation of the world and the curse and the flood and Noah. And then from that you go to the patriarchal history and that's Abraham all the way to the end of the book, his descendants, and how God is making a nation. And in that section from 12 on, there's 12 divisions that are real clear that says these are the generation of, and you can follow that. So in the very beginning of Genesis, you find that it's the world's most controversial book. And the first four words, which all of you should know, just says, in the beginning, in the beginning, and the first four words, Atheism is disputed because God exists. Pantheism, because God is distinct from creation. He's not part of it. He creates it. Polytheism, because there's not multiple gods there. Materialism says matter is eternal, but God brought matter into existence. Naturalism, which would say um, evolution. Fatalism, created by a personal act, but he didn't have to. But he, uh, An impersonal act, but he chose to here. So in the first four words of our Bible, it makes it the most controversial book of mankind, and it says, in the beginning, God. We believe Moses wrote this uh, because inside of the first five books, in the Pentateuch, in Numbers 33, he says that he did. Outside of it, in Nehemiah, they said that Moses wrote it. And the biggest evidence is Jesus believed that Moses wrote it and when he quoted there in Genesis, and we haven't found him to be wrong about anything. So if Jesus believed Moses wrote it, uh, then I believe it as well. And then the book of Acts, when they quote, the first five books of the Bible, they'll say, as Moses said, or they may say, as God said, reminding us of the inspiration 
because it was God speaking through uh, the human author there. So as we look at part one in our divisions here, we look at Genesis verses one and two. And in the beginning, God, pastor preached on this eternal creator, God. Man is a creation. That sermon has been listened to over a hundred times that man is a creation. From light, then firmament, the division there, the vegetation, and then sun, moon, and stars, the light, the lesser lights. And everybody says, you can't do it like that. But God says, I want to do it like that. I will create things because it centers around him and nothing else. Got sky and sea, land and animals on the sixth day. And we spent five sermons in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And Pastor could have spent a lifetime and have been well worth it if we would have never got past those two chapters. And what did we learn about God, which is our pursuit that we're going for? What did we learn is that God can turn chaos into a good creation by his word. And that we see that, that his spoken word can create something out of nothing. And that's what he did. Pastor really belabored the point that we believe in a literal six days of creation. Not because of the science that would take place millions of years before that, but because of the hermeneutical principles moving forward in the Bible. It's not just the problem if you want to add millions of years scientifically that you'd have to go against. It's what you're going to do with the next book and the next chapter if you do not um, read those first two chapters in this sense and believe in a literal creation. It creates all kinds of problems if you don't read it the way that it was intended there. Genesis 3, we get to 15. We're introduced to a concept for the first time, which is grace. God goes and finds man there, hiding himself from him, who is ashamed of his sin, who knows his nakedness, and God goes to him, and he finds him, and shows in Genesis 3:15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we saw that God of grace on man's worst day, that when in the middle of him telling the serpent the curse upon him, and the woman that would be upon him, and the man to swear the brow, in the middle of that, he says, I have a plan to redeem you and to bring you back to me. And we learn about God right at the beginning that he is a God of grace. That in the middle of cursing and telling what would be the result of sin, he says, I want you to know there's grace for you. And I love you so much that I'm going to send you out of this garden because I love you. And he provides for them. Then we get to the brothers and the first fight between the brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel, a more excellent sacrifice, providing a godly heritage here. More excellent not because of what was brought, but because of the obedience when God outlined for them that they knew what God wanted and Abel was obedient and that it matters, that we must please God in our worship or sin will ruin our lives as we see in Cain. That the fact that we worship him and we worship him the way that he prescribes for us to worship him is so important to us. And then we get to Enoch and we see that those who walk with God can enjoy him and anticipate victory over the curse as seen there with Enoch. He walked with the Lord. And we're reminded that after the fall, you could still walk with the Lord. And we're so encouraged by that. That gets us to Genesis 6. And in Genesis 6, sin tries to take center stage right again very quickly. Uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he was made righteous because of that, because of his faith in that. And then immediately afterwards at the flood, waters recede. Noah's family um, fall. There's sin there among them. And sin brings on a storm. 
And then we learned about the sons of God and the daughters of men. And we left there with many questions um, that we see. God established the covenant with Noah, reminding him uh, that there would not be a flood destroying the earth um, again. And God will judge the wicked with a catastrophic judgment in order to start over with a worshiping community and worship's that important. So by this far into the book, we realize that worship is so important to God that he will take a creation that he said was good, that was ruined by man, and if they, that he would take a catastrophic event to wipe everybody out but Noah. But lest we start to think that hum, humanity didn't matter to God, he immediately teaches them that mankind is responsible to preserve life because of its value to God. And he teaches that as soon as this all happens. We are valuable to him, but his worship is most important. And he teaches us that there. Genesis 11.4, as I alluded to earlier, a group of people get together and they want to make a name for themselves. They were the rebellious builders. It wasn't just they, were, they weren't building stairs, as we said, on the flannel graph growing up. You thought they were trying to get into heaven like Jack of the Beanstalk. That wasn't the problem, is that they were trying to make a name for themselves, and we weren't created to be builders of a name for ourselves, but we were supposed to replenish the earth, and we were supposed to take his fame around the world, and he scattered them in mercy. The, art, the flood was mercy, and the scattering of them was mercy as well. Then we get to the patriarchs in chapter number 2. So as soon as chapter number 11 happens, they're all together, the, the languages are divided, and then he sends them around the world. In 12, verse number 1, it says, Now the Lord sends out a missionary. As soon as they scatter, he says, Abraham, go get these people and teach them about the one true God. And in contrast to the people that try to make a name for themselves, in 12, 2, and 3, he says, I will make of you a great nation. And those that bless you are blessed, and those that curse you I will curse. And he, in the direct contrast, the man of faith versus these people who were sinful and wicked people. Abraham rescues lots from his captors. Abraham is blessed with Melchizedek and honoring God for his work in your life. Abraham would not take credit. He would not take a shoe latchet from them. But he wanted all praise to go to God. Abraham doubts God's promises. God has to reiterate it to him. Abraham's faith, is, we're told, is counted of righteousness in Genesis 15:16. And we're seeing so clearly that Abraham, being a man of faith, and that's what made him righteous. God tells Abraham that the sinners will be slaves in a foreign country for 400 years, but his faith helps overcome his fears. And God graciously protects his plan when his people complicate it through their sin. God is loving and caring even when man complicates things. Abraham, Sarah's wife, gives his handmaiden Hagar to Abraham. Hagar conceives Ishmael. We saw the deliberating that takes place there in the delay. You see where God's going. We have a picture if you could put that back there. We see where God's going in life, but we don't know exactly the course that God's taking us and why we are deliberating on that. We often make uh, bad decisions during that time. Abraham knew that God had a son for him, and he knew he was supposed to wait, but he decided to go and get it another way. And I saw this, your plans, you know what God has for you, and this is how you think things are going to happen but we see this is really what God's plan is for Abraham, and that's what he has in our lives. But he is going to be with us all along the way, and we've been watching that. Genesis 12, there's a promise, but they have to wait for the son of promise uh, to come. 
Genesis 17, God reminds of the covenant and says there needs to be a circumcision. Ishmael and the whole family follow that. Immediately it happens. A man of faith who's acting out there in faith. And then we find that God sends three, comes and sits down with Abraham, showing that intimacy that he still has there. Sarah standing in the doorway outside, and she laughs when he says she is going to have a child. And God says, why did you laugh? And Sarah says, I did not laugh. And we learn that you should not lie to God. Uh, he, he hears you when you laugh. And he says, I'm going to redeem your laughter. I'm going to take your cynical type of laughing, and I'm going to change it into a laugh of joy. She was worried what people would think of her. What are people going to say? I'm of this age. But later when God redeems that laughter, she is a testimony of what God has done. That he could have used a younger person. He could have used a lot of people. But he chose to use her and for his glory. And so as we're learning about God here, we learn that nothing is incredible or unbelievable for those in fellowship with God because nothing is too hard for him. And Sarah laughs at that idea, but we know that God could do that. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot escapes with his daughters and his wife, and the sin destroys a home. And Pastor Frick showed us very clearly that it is a dangerous folly to become attached to the present corrupt world because it is awaiting God's destruction. The righteous judge of the earth will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And we see that. A city is destroyed, but Lot is the righteous man. He, um, we find that in Scripture. He was a righteous man. He was vexed, but God does not destroy him. But we see his wife turning, and that she felt an attachment to the present corrupt world. 20. Abraham moves his family he lies about Sarah. Abimelech the king there takes Sarah onto his harem, and God curses the people because of it. Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Ishmael and Hagar are sent away. But as they're sent away, God goes and finds um, Hagar and finds Ishmael, and God cares for them because he cares for all people. 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. 22.8, Abraham says God will provide himself a lamb and those of us who know the scriptures know how powerful that statement was and what it was foreshadowing and how God provided. We see in the New Testament that Abraham believed that God would take Isaac and bring him back to life if he was to take the knife uh, to him. And that faith trusts God with all of it. And we see here that faith, the type that Abraham has, is not in a situation, but it's in a person which means as ridiculous as it sounds or whatever, my faith is placed in God and he's able, faith is going all in in moments like that. And then our choices are real. That God's involvement is performed in such a way that we, that we must make responsible choices. And we don't know exactly how that works, but it's seen time and time again. Chapter 23, Abraham buries Sarah. Abraham sends his servant back uh, to get Isaac a wife. Where Isaac needed a little help. They didn't have e harmony or dating. So Abraham sends somebody to go find Isaac a wife, and it worked out for him, fortunately, there. Abraham marries otherwise. Abraham dies. Ishmael dies after 20 years of prayer. Rebekah bears two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew or, or there. And uh, we find that he despised the birthright. 25, verse 34, being the key verse in that story. It says that he despised, he made little of it. And pastor asked a very profound question that night, is what is your attitude towards spiritual opportunities? 
And he asked us that because here was a man who sold his birthright uh, to satisfy uh, a temporary thing that he had going on. People are willing to relinquish things of lasting spiritual value because they live to satisfy their basic appetites. We see that in that story there. Genesis 26, another famine comes there. And Isaac, can you believe wives that they said this? They, Abimelech says, hey, why did you, um, why did you, um, why did this happen? The king of the Philistines said, why did you put your wife at jeopardy? And the bonehead in chapter 26 and verse number 9, he said, if I told you the truth, lest I fear I might die for her. He's like, I don't want to die for my wife. And so I had to lie to you. What the most unromantic verse ever. I had to lie to you or I might have to die for her. All right. Hallmark doesn't make cards like that. Okay. I love you, but I didn't get you anything lest I die for you. I didn't do that. And um, a mature faith in God's promise provides a fearless walk with him. But cowering fear endangers the blessing and makes a mockery of our faith. Isaac wavered because his faith was not set as it should have been. And we see how to ruin a perfectly good family. That was a great one. At the end of your booklet, you can see where to go listen to all the sermons here. And tonight is just the greatest hits, all right? Genesis 30, 27 through 35, Jacob steals Esau's blessing, and Esau plots to kill Jacob at the end of 27. Jacob flees from Esau, and God appears to Jacob in a dream while at Bethel, and God promises to bless Jacob with the same blessing he gave Abraham, and he gave the blessing. And this effectual revelation of God's protective presence and promised blessings should inspire devout and faithful worship. As they would begin to, to teeter, and as they would begin to waver in it, and they begin to make bad decisions based on it, God would come back and say, let me remind you of a promise I made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2-3. You see that quoted again and again in the Bible, that the promises of God are supposed to let us stand fast and be unmovable because we know our foundation is steadfast and unmovable. Jacob falls in love with Rachel. He works seven years to marry Rachel, and he gets tricked there. He works another seven years, and um, we learn about making our spouse a priority, the long road home. Jacob has more sons and, and daughters there. Jacob sleeps from Laban in chapter number 31. He catches up with them. They come to an agreement, and then by 32, Jacob uh, prepares to meet Esau, and he wrestles with God. And in Genesis 32, verse 8, Jacob becomes the name Israel. And he learns that that becoming strong in faith, believers must rid themselves of self-sufficiency. And it's a wonderful thing because he wrestles with God, and that applies to so many things in our lives where we wrestle with God and we get rid of our self-sufficiency and say, you are stronger, we submit to you, and you're no longer trickster but you're now Israel, and I'm preparing you to make a great nation. Jacob meets his brother Esau, and he's scared. He said, I'm going to send some gifts to you so you'll have grace on me, which isn't exactly how grace works. He said, I want to have grace in your eyes. And when Esau sees him, Esau in 33.10 says, I have grace to you. And he looks at him, and he said, you still take my gifts. And um, Israel is here surprised by the grace of Esau. And we learned here about living up to who we are in Christ. The way that Jacob thought his brother would view him is different than the way his brother viewed him. And the way that you think God thinks about you is many times much different than the way that you should think about those things. The prince of uh, Shechem rapes Dinah, Jacob's daughter. Jacob's son, Simeon and Levi, they make a plot and they kill all the men of Shechem in revenge. And that story is going to come back 
to haunt them, if you will, in chapter number 48, as God says these are cruel people. And we learn at this time, dads, listen here, that when spiritual leaders are indifferent to and fail to act decisively about pagan defilements, those who are immature may profane the covenant by their misguided zeal. Jacob here, Israel here, should have taken steps when this happened. And since he didn't clearly define what happens with sin, his sons and their zeal go and kill a, a, a city and they become called cruel people. God calls Jacob uh, to Bethel. Chapter 26 is the genealogy of Esau, which is so reassuring that we have a whole chapter about Esau and his genealogy, even though he missed that opportunity earlier on. And you know what it does is the original audience here for the book of Genesis, it appears that Moses wrote it in the wilderness wondering, and then it's going to be some 440 years when Genesis 50 ends. It's going to be some 440 years before the children of Israel go back into the land. And when they go back into the land, God's going to say, spare the Edomites. Who are the Edomites? They are the descendants of Esau. And so as they're about to go in and take the land, God in his book here provides protection for them and says, Leave those Edomites alone, because I know you guys don't remember this, but that was Israel's brother Esau, and you need to spare the Edomites. And that whole chapter provides protection. It outlines who those people are uh, for them. Genesis 37, Joseph is the dreamer. They said in 37:19, Behold, the dreamer will come, and God's will just might hurt. Back to the comical picture we saw He has a promise in the future. He thinks he knows how he's going to get to it. But the path here, it goes up and it goes down. And you may know your destination, but you do not know the course God has designed for you. So you have to trust his wisdom. When the next thing looks hard, you've got to trust his wisdom um, in that. um, There in 38, Judah, uh, we get to Judah. I preached that night. I was all excited about the life of Joseph. Opened my Bible and said, it's speaking Judah. It isn't Joseph. And we saw in there how Judah, the contrast between a Joseph that would trust God and a Judah who had done all these wicked things there and unwilling to, for his son, his son was unwilling to build his brother's name. And because of that, they would die. And we see, um, then we get back to Joseph at Potiphar's house. And these arrows are going over Joseph now. He's in a prison, and he gets forgotten. Arrows are over his head. We see um, through Judah that self-indulgence will bring discipline, and that the discipline is God's love in saving us uh, from ourselves. Dedication to the calling of God will enable the servant of God to resist temptation. So in Judah, we see what kind the children of Israel are and how the culture is affecting them, and why he's going to take them into Egypt and take them into a culture that hated people that handled cattle, and how he was going to bring them into slavery, but that was going to save them from themselves, because if they continued the course of chapter number 38 like Judah, they were just going to disperse into the culture and disappear. So God in his goodness put them in that opposing culture, and we see that. But then we see in Joseph that a dedication to the calling of God enables the servant of God to resist temptation. He knew that God would be faithful, so because of that, he would be faithful Chapters 40 through 45, Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh's dream, the prime minister. Um, we learn about being truly guilty here as his brothers. Well, there in 42, 28, um, there's a back and forth. Joseph is doing these things to, to see their intent of their heart, to see if they're the same sneaky brothers that had sold him the slavery. 42, 28, the brother says, what has God done to us? They come to an end of themselves, and that's where Judah gets to a place of just, 
confession and honesty and repentance, which is so important because remember we're going to go not uh, Wick, not Reuben who would get skipped, not Simeon and Levi who destroyed a city, but then it's going to go the Judah who will have the divine prince as Jesus come through his genealogy because it's at that time he recognizes his sin and he takes ownership um, of it um, in um, his life. And then as we got there to chap as we ended out chapters 45. Uh, then on to 50, we find that um, not only does Jacob get to see um, Joseph once again, uh, but then he gets the opportunity to see his grandsons. And then he, he sees that, and it's a wonderful thing. And Jacob, at the end of his life, says that he sees God um, as his shepherd there. He doesn't say it in exact words, but he sees that God had provided for him and had disciplined him um, in a loving way. Then he brings his children in, and we learn about them, and they're like in the different animals. And then at the end of it, he's going to die. And remember, we finished this the other night. The brothers come in and said, hey, Joseph, be nice to us. Dad said so. You have to be nice to us. Here's a letter. He said, be nice to us. Please be nice to us. Joseph cries and says, guys, don't you understand that I have been paying attention through all these chapters, even though you may not have been, and I know that I am not going to sit in the place of God and I know that despite your malice that God has been good to us, and I'm going to show you the love of God. And so through the book of Genesis, we see that God is faithful, God is gracious, and he is loving, and we see that man is constantly failing him in need of repentance, and he is loving and allowing us to keep serving him, and it is a wonderful thing. So if you have cliff notes there, if you're not going to read the book and you're going to take a test on it, your main characters here, God. He's faithful, he's eternal, he's true, and all things he does, he does well. And then you have man, and he is always stumbling and falling and needing God, and God continues on loving us. And then you saw Satan, the antagonist of the story, who thought he had recruited us to his team, because unlike us, Satan can't have children and offspring. So if he could corrupt us at the spring, he thought he would do something that would take mankind. But God says, I love my children I'm going to take them back for my own good, for my own glory, and he loves us. So I know you've got 49 sermons all in one, but I have one main point, and that is God is good, and you are not, but he still loves you and has a wonderful plan uh, for your life. And man, that was an exciting ride as Pastor took us through it. you got the, the you got a link there. Um, I challenge you to go look at it and pick up where you left off. I didn't miss one. I was gone different times. I was upstairs on Thursday, but I did not want to miss one. And now they're about to go into captivity, but in Exodus we will get out of it. But you know, one day we're going to be in the middle of one of these books, and Jesus may come back, and we'll get to finish it sitting at his feet. And I know Pastor won't mind you saying this, but he'll do a much better job explaining it than anybody else here uh, can. Are you excited about the fact that God is good, despite that we are rebellious people? I know I am. I am going to pray. And then, uh, Ms. Kristen, if you'll just play a couple verses, pray in your seat, meditate upon that. If you'd like to come to an altar, and then after that, Brother Bo will come and make um, a few announcements. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to see a, this book. We get to learn about creation. We would be so uh, curious, and we'd be guessing, and we'd be making up things about creation of the world and, and about your character and who you are, and we would be in darkness and blind if you didn't give us a book. And I'm just so grateful that you did give us a book. And we see from day one 
all the way to this day that you have dealt graciously with mankind. That in times where it looked like you were being harsh to us, you were being the most loving. Thank you for these examples of people that when they wavered in their faith, you kept your plan consistent and moving forward. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here tonight who may be thinking they're good and that you are bad. I pray that this book will remind them that if that is not the case, that you are gracious and loving and we are very much in need of you. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.